0: To have a seat this morning. We're glad to have you here with us this morning at First Baptist Church. You can, have, you can be seated. This is our youth Sunday, so some of our youth and kids will be helping out in leading our service this morning, so we're excited about that. And uh, one of the first things we're going to do this morning is have our Bible drill kids come up. So you guys, they have a presentation for you and something to let you know about, and so uh, we want you to listen carefully as they come. You guys Ready?
1: Our theme this year for Bible drills, Bible drill on mission three, building a house of orphans. As we learned verses, key passages, and the books of the Bible, we each built our houses on the bulletin board. More importantly, we are trying to raise money to build a house, to build a house for orphans in Kenya, Africa. Africa, Victoria's Children's Home was started by Vicki Adundo, who has been here at First Baptist Church several times. These pictures on the screen are of Vicki when she was here last spring. The house that the orphans are in now was built for 40 kids. There are now almost 150 living there. 2018 has been a very hard year for Victoria's Children's Home. There has been much illness, including hospital stays, doctor bills, and medicine to pay for. There's even a death. They also pay for the education of the kids. This includes the cost of the school, the uniform, shoes, and books. With all these extra expenses, they have had to borrow from the building, fund and even go into debt. While the building has been started, there is still much work to be done. Even though they have all these expenses, they are still reaching out to almost eighty kids every other Saturday. They serve them a hot meal, clean them up, dress their wounds, and share the love of Christ. Please pray for Vicky and all their needs for the orphanage. In addition to praying, we would like you to give we would like to give you the chance to help them by giving money. At the end of today's service, several Bible Joe kids will be standing in the back of the church. For If you would like to help build a house for orphans, you are invited to drop some money into the offering plates, and we will send it to Vicki. Thanks for your prayers
0: and support. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Hey, Lydia. Lydia Friels, come here. Lydia. Alright, so as you heard this morning, the Bible Drill Kids are, uh, and our Bible Drill Ministries collecting money for the orphanage in Kenya. And so, uh, you can, there'll be a special offering after the service is over this morning. You can give to that as you feel led to this morning. Lydia Frills has, uh, she baked some pumpkin muffins and, uh, to raise money for the orphanage this morning that several of you purchased and donated money for. And so she was able to raise $100 for the orphanage this morning. So I just wanted to recognize that. Alright. She must have wonderful parents. All right. You can be seated. All right. Um, now, we got a special uh, event coming up here next Sunday morning. Uh, it will be our Christmas program. This year it's entitled Star Trips. We kind of gave you a flavor of that last Sunday, and we want to say a little bit more about that this morning. So you guys ready to, for that right now? Okay. Here we go. Amen. You can be seated. Right now, a couple of our young people are going to come and read Scripture and pray for us. Two brothers, actually, Blake and Dirk Kite are going to come as they're coming. Uh, so a lot of you have asked about Tim Lashwell, our minister of music. You see he's still not up here this morning, but, uh, but he is here. He's back in the sound booth, actually, this morning. So let's, uh, let's express our appreciation to Tim and our uh, continued praying for him as well. He's healing from a serious bout of it. Uh, with his appendix, that's still going to have to have something done about that later, and he's recovering and uh, should be able to participate in our Christmas program next next Sunday. So we're looking forward to that. Glad to have you back, Tim. All right, guys. I
2: will be I will be reading from Isaiah forty, starting in verse twenty one. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has he not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble, to whom then will you compare me? that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see, who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is so strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Uh, Let us all pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for letting us come here together today to uh, honor and serve you, Lord. And uh, help us to really understand the message today and uh, help whatever uh, Pastor Steve is saying. Help us to be able to use it throughout the week. And uh, uh, just help us to give honor to you. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. Thanks. Right now, uh... our... Uh... Some of our junior high kids are coming to collect this morning's offering. And as they're coming, uh, some of our other young people, some of the Fowler family are coming to uh, play for us this morning. Children are being dismissed from Children's Church. You're welcome to go on right now. As they're going, uh, Noah Knapp is going to come and share a testimony with you. you want to use it?
3: Good morning. So my name is Noah Knapp. And today I'll be sharing my testimony. So I always thought that my testimony wasn't very powerful or significant. And that made me not want to share it as much. but, And I thought that because I had always went to church. I had always had the right answers. And I had no big turnaround. But as I thought about it, I realized you don't need something dramatic or unimaginable thing to have happened to have a powerful testimony. Because every testimony is significant because it's devoting your life to Christ. And that in itself is amazing. And should make anyone excited. So with that... Don't be afraid to share. When I was about eight years old, I felt the Holy Spirit moving in me. I started talking to my parents about it, and I just felt a nagging at my heart and soul. My parents and I went to Pastor Adam to talk about my faith and what was happening. And that night, I asked Jesus into my life. The following week, I went to the front and proclaimed I had accepted Jesus into my life. I was soon baptized, and after accepting Christ into my life, I felt I understood the Bible in a different way. I had always thought of the Bible as more of a history book, but once saved, I understood it as truth and how Christ suffered and died for me and my sins. The Holy Spirit is showing me how God is in everything and how amazing He is. I am thankful for my parents, my Sunday school teachers, and youth leaders for helping guide me me through my Christian walk. In the end, every testimony is significant, and coming to Christ is honestly the greatest thing that could ever happen. And I'm going to read Psalm one nineteen, twenty nine. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Noah, and I appreciate all of the young folks that are helping out in the service this morning and doing different things. Church, we are thankful for our young people and our children. Amen. And, and especially thankful for you parents that are doing the primary work of discipling your children in the home. And uh, our job as a church is not to take, not to be a substitute for that. But, uh, but to come along beside you and help reinforce what you've been charged to do already. And uh, so I'm so thankful for the ministries in our church, like the Bible drill ministry, AWANA that meets on Wednesday nights, the Catalyst Senior High Ministry, the Junior High Ministry. and uh, There's others that I'm not even mentioning right now, Bible school and other things that take place throughout the year. So, uh, so thank you all for those that work in the nursery, for all the hard work and dedication you do to help us disciple this, uh, this generation for, for Jesus. Well, I want to ask you to take your Bible this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And as you're turning, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you if you don't have one. But if you would, please stand with me as we honor God in the reading of His Word this morning. Matthew chapter 9. We'll begin reading at verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. Verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the waiting guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Verse 16, No one puts a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Verse 18, While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Verse 23, And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, He said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at Him. But when the crowd had been put outside, He went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout all that district. Verse 27, And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed Him crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. Verse 32. As they were going away, behold, a demon pressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute spoke. The mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You that we can meet together on this first day of the week and remember that our Savior has not only died for our sins but has risen again and he is coming again and indeed it is a season for rejoicing father we ask this morning that you would remind us of this great truth of who christ is and what he has done to the praise of your glorious grace work this way in our hearts that we might rejoice in you Work this way in the hearts of unbelievers who are not here that they might see the truth of the gospel even for the first time as Noah spoke about this morning. That their hearts might be open, their eyes, spiritual eyes might see the beauty of the gospel, the ugliness of their sin in turn and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So what kind of mood are you in this morning or what kind of mood did you wake up with this morning? Perhaps some of you woke up this morning and you saw the sunshine coming out after a little bit of a gloomy day yesterday and and just things are going so well for you. Perhaps uh, you began to sing, the hills are alive with the sound of music. Maybe that's just how you felt this morning. I know I had someone... Come in and talk to me this morning and said, Preacher, God's doing so, so many good things in my life right now. I am just, I'm feeling, this is just about the best morning I've had since I've been coming here in a long time. God's just doing such good things. And I was encouraged to hear that. I said, I want to, I, I'm just glad I can rejoice with you. The Bible says where, when one rejoices, we rejoice with them. When one suffers, we suffer with them. But I imagine for many of us, we didn't wake up singing The Hills Are Alive with the sound of music this morning. Perhaps on your way to church, you yelled at the kids, you kicked the dog, you ran the stoplight, and now we're coming to church and the preacher's standing up and the singers are standing up and saying, let's sing. And that just doesn't quite match how you're feeling right now. Jesus comes and He preaches this message of repentance. He says, repent. Stop what you're doing. Turn around. And rebels don't want to be told to do that. And so Jesus says with authority that He has come to fulfill the law. And He says that in the Sermon on the Mount. He proves His authority to command people to repent and turn around by the words He says on the mountain. But then He comes down from the mountain and He proves His authority by the works that He does. And what Matthew does in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 8 and 9 is He's taking nine different miracles that Jesus has done, inspired by the Spirit. He's arranging them, not necessarily chronologically, but He's arranging them to show us that Jesus has authority over all things. And He has authority to say, repent. Stop what you're doing. Turn around. He proves it by His words, He says, and by the works that He does. And because of that, because He proves this authority that He has and all these miracles that He does... The arrival of Jesus is a time for rejoicing. There's a question the disciples asked. We read it in here in John chapter 9 while ago. The disciples of John the Baptist asked, Lord, why why aren't your disciples fasting like we and the Pharisees are? And Jesus' reply was... This is not a time for mourning, for fasting, for longing for Messiah to come like you once did because He's here, Emmanuel, God with us. This is not a time for mourning. This is not a time for fasting. This is a season for rejoicing that He has come. The arrival of Jesus is a time to rejoice because He comes with authority over everything that causes us not to rejoice. Amen? And He's proving that by the things that He's doing. He's saying to the leper, as we saw last Sunday in Matthew chapter 8, He says to the leper, be clean, right? He says to the centurion, go home. Your servant is healed. He says to Peter's mother-in-law, rise up, get up. And she starts serving him because she's healed. He says to the storm in Matthew chapter 8 that's raging, be quiet. And it's still. And He says to the demons inside of that those two men in Matthew chapter 8, get out. And they go. He has authority over all things. And it just continues here in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus has authority over all things. It's a time to rejoice because He comes with authority over everything that causes us not to rejoice. And we see it over and over and over. His authority over demons. His authority over nature. His authority over sickness. His authority over even death here in Matthew chapter 9. So... What is the number one cause of not rejoicing? Some of us come this morning and we're having a hard time not rejoicing because of relationships. Maybe if you had a number one thing that's causing you not to rejoice right now in your life or at particular times in your life, you might save money. Finances are hard right now. I don't know how I'm going to be able to really have a nice Christmas, how are we to find that, for our children or our grandchildren or for our family. It's causing me not to rejoice. Or maybe health comes to mind. That's causing you not to rejoice because of health concerns you have for yourself or your family. Or relationships. Maybe that's the number one thing on your list causing you not to rejoice. Certainly. When we're not getting along with people we're supposed to care about and and want to care about or are treating us wrongly, people that should be caring for us, it's going to cause us not to rejoice like we should. Maybe we don't feel successful. Maybe we've experienced the death of a loved one, or just the fact that we'll be celebrating Christmas without a loved one present again causes us not to be able to rejoice like we should. But what is the number one thing that would cause us not to rejoice? What's the worst thing that could happen to cause us not to be able to rejoice? It's sin. Sin separating us from God, to be unforgiven. To be dead in our sin with no hope. That's the thing that would cause us to not rejoice the most. It's the root of all these other things. The reason there's suffering, sickness, sadness, lack of good relationships, all these things we just talked about, death in the world. It's because the root of that is we live in a sinful world. Here's the good news, church. This number one cause of all these things that Jesus has authority over that too. Forgiveness. This is a time to rejoice. This is a season for rejoicing. The arrival of Jesus is a time to rejoice because he comes with authority over everything that causes us not to rejoice. Number one, because Jesus comes to forgive. He's healing, he's doing wonderful miracles over things that are causing people not to rejoice in their life. But the thing that would cause us not to rejoice the most, he's got authority over that too. He has authority to forgive. Jesus forgives sinners. And so here, in the first few verses of Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus arriving on the scene. There's this house. And there at that house, there are four men. Another gospel in Mark tells us the four men are standing on the rooftop. Can you see those guys, those knuckleheads, standing on the rooftop? And they got somebody with them. Jesus is inside of the house, and He's preaching. And all of a sudden, the hole opens up in the home, and this man is lowered. What's wrong with this man? He's paralyzed. He can't walk. Maybe we're going to see Jesus do one of those miracles we've been hearing about. He's about to say something to the man. What's he going to say? Look at your Bible. Verse 2, the end of it. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. What? We thought he was going to tell him he's healed. Rise up and walk. Come on, that's what we want. Your sins are forgiven. And you hear the murmuring in the back of the room, blasphemy! Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who does He think He is? God or something? And Jesus says, knowing the evil of their hearts, verse 5, for which is either to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk. Anybody can say it. But so that you may know... That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now look at that in your Bible in verse 6. Are you looking at your Bible? What's it say? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Let me tell you something, folks. Jesus is not just saying the man's sins are forgiven, as if He's carrying a message to say his sins are forgiven. Jesus is saying, I am forgiving your sins. The Son of Man on earth has authority to forgive sins. So they're thinking blasphemy. Our sins are, are against God, against you, and you only have a sin and done this evil in your sight, David says in Psalm 51. And that's right. So, how can Jesus bring it upon himself to say, I forgive you? He's not been sinned personally against, but yes, he has, because he's God. And this man's greatest need is to have his sins forgiven, and Jesus forgives sinners. Now, how many of you heard this week about. Uh, a lot of has been said this week about the missionary John, was it uh, John Allen Chow, I think is his name, the island uh, off the coast of uh, India, secluded island where the Sentinelese live. And his methodology as a missionary has been questioned, but he was, he was martyred on November the 17th, executed, killed by the natives that lived on the island. He had had it in his heart to go there. It was an island that the, the, the uh, nation of India had said, well, it's off limits. Don't go there. These people this is a primitive tribe they are we just don't even want to take the risk of bringing in a disease to them or anything. Just leave them alone. They're a dangerous people. But they've not heard about Jesus. Something worse than them contracting influenza or something from Europeans would be for them to die in their sin. And so against probably what some would say Shouldn't do it, and it's debated about how much wisdom was used here. Like I said, we can debate that later on, but for now, just just think about what it is. What it is. He arrives one day, and a, and a fisherman drops him off on the land, and uh, and he says, when he gets there, with his Bible in his hand, and the guards there of the little village, we don't even know how many people are there, are trying to warn him. He says, "My name is John." And I love you. And Jesus loves you. And I don't know if he said much more than that or intended to or not, but about that time, one of the boys on the island took his primitive bow and shot at him and hit the man's, hit, hit John's Bible. 26-year-old young person hit his Bible. And so he left. Then he went home and read it, wrote an 18-page letter about how he didn't want to die. He wanted to be able to live for Jesus, but he felt compelled to go and he went back the next day. Then later, it was seen his body being drug along the beach. He'd been killed. Now, when John Allen Chow went, and I don't know if I would agree with all of his theology about on some things based on where I know he went to school and so forth, but he believed that Jesus forgives sins. and That's what he went to tell them about. And he went there and he told them about Christ. He didn't go and say... My name is John, and I've got some sewing supplies here for you. This is good news. I've got some modern technology to share with you. Or he didn't say, Good news, Jesus can heal you of your cancer or put your marriage back together. Is that what missionaries say when they go to hard places? I mean, we, we can say that. Sometimes God does those kind of miraculous things today. But no, the the good news, the primary thing we go to share with people is that Jesus can forgive you of your sins. It is the number one thing that must be taken care of in a person's life, in your life. And so as we come with these different emotions this morning, we didn't wake up saying the hills are alive with the sound of music. We've got all these emotions and moods and feelings and problems going on in our life. We come this morning as Christians knowing that the worst thing that can happen to us is not going to happen if we're trusting in Christ. So we rejoice. It is a time for rejoicing. Even though Jesus has now left and gone back into heaven, He's coming back. It's a time for rejoicing because we look back on the cross and know what He's done. Jesus comes to forgive. Jesus forgives sinners. Jesus calls sinners to follow Him. So in the next scene, this scene with sinners, in verse 9, we see Matthew. You look in your Bible in verse 9. He's sitting at a tax booth. He's like a crooked IRS agent. And he's at the tax booth and he cheats people out of money. He's a Jew, but he's befriending Gentiles. He's despised by his own people. And they look at him and he say, he is a sinner. He's like one of the Gentiles. And Jesus says, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Jesus forgives sinners and Jesus calls sinners to follow him. Then we go to the next scene where Matthew is so excited. We're told in, in the other gospel accounts that it was Matthew who hosted a party in his home. And we look at it in verse 10, and it says in verse 10 as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. But look at verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's he doing? He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. But you see, Jesus, He forgives sinners. He calls sinners to follow Him. And Jesus associates with sinners. It it requires that. If He wants to forgive sinners, if He wants sinners to follow Him, He must associate with sinners. And so He does. And it puzzles the Pharisees. It puzzles the Jewish piety. So when He hears it, He tells them, look, it's, it's not the people that are well that need a doctor it's people that are not well and when it comes to spiritually speaking it's people it's not people that that think they're okay with god and are trusting themselves and don't see a need of a spiritual physician like jesus it's people that understand that they sinned against god and are not self-righteous and we're not saying everybody that was invited to the home got saved that day all i know is that matthew was throwing a party and he was pointing people to jesus literally That's Jesus. He told me to follow Him. And guess what? My life's been changed. So He says, Jesus says to them in verse 13, Go and learn what this means, He says to the Pharisees. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting from the book of Hosea. He's saying, look, I'm not after your religious dedication to things that you say we're supposed to do and go through this list. I'm after your heart. I'm after someone who's been changed on the inside. And as a result, any sacrifices that are made are made because not to earn anything from God and say, I did this, and therefore, God, you must accept me. But God, you've accepted me by grace. And I'm so thankful. And my response is, my life. I want to follow you. Jesus comes to forgive. He forgives sinners. He calls sinners to follow Him. He associates with sinners. So Matthew throws a party. He points people to Jesus. What's that mean? Let's just take a moment to say this. Maybe we ought to throw a party for and point people to Jesus. We need to be a church that associates with sinners. We don't want to join them in their sinning. We still sin enough as it is, right? And struggle with it. But we do want to be the kind of people that associate with sinners and not think that we're above being around certain kinds of people or give that kind of vibe as a church family. So maybe one of the things you should think about doing during this particular season is think about some neighbors that are unchurched or lost and throw a party. Uh, I'd say have a barbecue, but I might be a little cold for that, but have some people over to your house that are unsaved, unchurched, and just point them to Jesus. Love on them. If you get the opportunity in that particular context while you're sitting there, and religion, faith comes up, then, then talk about them with Jesus. Or at least, at least let that be a starting point for future converse, spiritual conversations. Throw a party. Point them to Jesus. Associate with sinners. People are not going to know they need to be forgiven unless the Spirit shows it. And the Spirit's going to show it to them as we go to them and tell them. We, as believers, have the very best gift that could possibly be given to anyone. Amen? And that's this message of forgiveness. I was watching a preview of a documentary. It's about to be released soon called American Gospel. And there was one brief snippet of that film that really caught my attention. And it was the words of an atheist named Penn Gillette. if I'm saying his last name correctly. And this atheist said this. An unbeliever said, How much do you have to hate somebody? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible? And to not tell him about that, and you know that really resonated. It, it convicted me. The words of an atheist convicted me. Just that, listen to that brief video, and it made me think more evangelistically during the week. I got the best gift. What, what more selfish thing could there could there be for me not to go and? walk in the step, footsteps of Jesus and tell us about Christ. I, and so I was out somewhere in a business, I won't say, and where it was and and uh, paying for something. And I thought, oh, I remember that snippet. And uh, then the fear comes, you know, because I get afraid just like most of us do. And But it but it led me to open up my mouth and talk to this, this lady about the Lord and about about the gospel in a limited way. We've got the greatest what what what's keeping us from just telling people, listen, I, I, I hear your problems and see everything that's going on in your life, but let me tell you the best the best news you could possibly hear to Jesus will, Jesus will forgive you and make you right with him. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, he will all the other things he'll take care of either now or one day he will for sure in heaven, but the best thing you can have right now is a relationship with Him. So Jesus comes to forgive. It's a time to rejoice. Amen? Amen? Because He comes with authority over everything that causes us not to rejoice. Namely, the root of that is that it is sin that causes all the suffering and He takes care of that. As old Barney Fife says, He nips it in the bud. Right? Number one, Jesus comes to forgive. Secondly, and finally, Jesus changes why we fast. You say, Preacher, what do you mean? What is fasting? Fasting is going without eating. It's an expression of longing for the kingdom of God to come. We talked a lot about that last January when we were preparing for our prayer week. Fasting is an expression of longing for God's kingdom to come. And so there's this hymn Oh, come, oh, come, amen. You will. Y'all sing with me. And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to Thee, O Israel. Now listen, how many of you feel like it's kind of odd to sing that? Because Emmanuel has come. Now this is the first day of Advent, so we sing that song the first day and we remember His first coming. And so we're singing that song identifying with Old Testament Israel and how they were in exile because of their sin. They were longing for Messiah to come. And so they were mourning. And a lot of times they would fast as an expression of their longing for God's kingdom to come, Messiah to come and restore the kingdom. And so I say, it, it seems kind of strange almost to sing that song, even though we do, and I, and I enjoy doing it. And they rejoice, anticipating that he's coming, but we, he has come. And, and what we see in this question here, the disciples in verse 14, if you look at your Bible, they say to him, why do we and the Pharisees fast, the disciples not fast? And Jesus says to them, can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with him?" He's saying the bridegroom's come. It's, it, the Messiah's come. God with us, Emmanuel, has come. Hosea, the prophet Hosea, chapter 2, verse 16. Hosea, chapter 2, verse 16. The Bible says this, the Lord says, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband in that day. So there was a time when the prophet said to Israel in exile, Emmanuel's coming, and in that day you will call him my husband. You'll no longer say to the bells, My bell, that was an idol. Your heart will be changed, and you will say, for those whose hearts have been changed and placed in, in, in and placing their faith in what Messiah is going to do, they're going to say, My husband. God, you are my, you're my husband. And Jesus, what's Jesus saying here? The bridegroom has come. He's saying, I am the husband. This is Emmanuel, God with us. And so he says to them, It is inappropriate to fast while the bridegroom is here. How many of you cried at your wedding or cried at someone else's wedding? And maybe there was good reason to, maybe it was a cry of an expression of joy, but certainly during the uh, time afterward at the what they call the reception or whatever, uh, it would be probably awkward if the bride's sitting there crying her eyeballs out. And Jesus saying, the, the bridegroom is here. It's not a time for mourning, for fasting. He's here. There's, there's going to be a time when you're going to fast. He teaches in Matthew chapter 6, not not if you fast, but when you fast. And they will fast. In Acts chapter chapter 13 and 14, you see the disciples fasting after He's died and risen again and ascended into heaven. But He says right now, it's a season for rejoicing because He's here. Now what's that mean for us? Right now, we live in the in-between time. It... We're not waiting for Messiah to come. He has come. This season in which we live is this season of the new covenant. He illustrates it in a couple more ways by verse 16. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and the worst tear is made. Just like you don't put a, you won't put a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. That, that doesn't make sense. You don't do that. It's not going to work. It's incompatible. Nor do you take new wine that's still, that's still expanding and bubbling and, and, and since fermenting and so forth. You don't take new wine and put it into old wine skins that are all dried out. Because if you put that new wine into those old wine skins that are all dried out, and that, that wine there is bubbling and expanding and, and fermenting and all that kind of stuff, it's going to burst. So you put it in new wine skins. It would be inappropriate to do that. There's a lot to be said about all that, but I think the, all three illustrations illustrate the fact that it is a time, you need to know what time it is. He's saying to the people, he's saying to the disciples of John, the Messiah has come. It's a time to rejoice. And with that coming, he's going to change everything. We have tasted the joyful gifts of the wedding feast, people are being healed. Jesus says, look around and see what's happening. So for us, living in the in-between means this. Based on the authority of what God's Word says and based on the fact that we have been born again like Noah testified about in his testimony, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have tasted and seen looking at His Word, knowing what He's done in our lives by causing us to be born again. We know He's the bridegroom. We've been, we've been in His presence. We know what is to come. We can't... We, we fast now because we want Him to come. But we don't fast like they did in the Old Testament. Right? He's changed why we fast. He's changed how we fast. Why we fast. We're not, we're not fasting for Messiah to come. We're not longing for Him to come the first time. Right? We're longing for Him to come again because we, we've, we've tasted and enjoyed these gifts of the wedding feast. And secondly, we look beyond our suffering to a day of endless rejoicing with Jesus. Amen. So we've tasted the the joyful gifts of the wedding feast. And so we look beyond our suffering and how we felt when we came this morning. If it wasn't a good feeling, to a day of endless rejoicing with Jesus. You ever have doubts? think about John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist was in prison. If you turn over there, Matthew 11 verse 2. He heard about the deeds of Christ. And he sent word. This is John the Baptist who says, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And now he's in prison. Now he's going through a hard time. And now he has some doubts. And in verse for Jesus, he says, verse 3, he said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Isn't that amazing that John the Baptist would say that? Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Isn't that also encouraging <laughs> that John the Baptist had that? He had, his, his faith wasn't perfect and Jesus answered him, verse four, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Now doesn't all that sound familiar what Jesus says to go report to John? Isn't that exactly what John that Matthew's recording for us in Matthew chapter eight and nine? So verse 18, while Jesus is answering the disciples of John, it says in verse 18, if you look at your Bible, while He was saying these things to them, there's this ruler who comes up, this ruler of the synagogue. We find out in other gospel accounts that this, His name is Jairus. And in him He has a daughter and she's 12 years old. And He says that she has just died. And if you walk on through the text, you're going to see Jesus on His way to the home. And you're going to hear people Wailing. And mourning because she has died. But before he gets there, there's this woman who comes up who's, who's had an issue of blood. We don't know exactly what that means, but nobody's been able to heal it. She's had it for a long time. And because of that, she was not only in physical pain, she would have been ceremonially unclean. She reaches out and touches, touches the hem of his garment. He says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. She's She's healed. Then he goes to the home where there's wailing and there's mourning. And he says, what? The girl is not dead, verse 24, but sleeping. And what do they do in the next verse? They laughed at him. They laughed at him. And so he, he says, just have the parents come in, just, just a small group and puts everybody out. And he takes her by the hand and raises her up. You see what Jesus is doing. He's telling the paralytic to stand up. He's telling the girl who's been dead to wake up. He tells this woman with this, this issue of blood that she's been healed. He says in the next few verses here to the, the blinded eyes of these two men who cry out, Have mercy on us, Son of David. In verse 27, 28, 29, He says, Blinded eyes open up. And He says to the man possessed by a demon, afflicted by a demon whose mouth is closed, he's mute, He says, Speak up. And He talks. He's showing He has authority over everything. And what's the response in verse 33 by the people? When the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke and the crowds marveled saying, Never was anything seen like this in Israel. The whole message is this. There have been a lot of prophets that have been raised up in Israel, but they've never seen a prophet like this before who can even raise the dead, who can cast out demons, who has authority over everything. So what we know is by looking on what Scripture says and what God's promised and what He's done in our life, we look beyond our suffering. like. And, and realize that there's a day coming when all of these things that Jesus did when He walked here on earth, that He occasionally even does now while we're here on this earth, because we, we know that the Lord does miracles. I mean, Lori Fowler sitting here this morning, praise the Lord. And, and some of you all are here this morning, praise the Lord that God's healed, done miraculous things in your life. And none of us that are here are, who are born again are dead in sin anymore. That's the greatest miracle, Right? And so we're looking forward to the day to be in His presence. We, we look, so we look beyond our suffering to that day of rejoicing. When we'll be there, we join First Peter, the, the saints of First Peter, who say we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, even though we haven't seen Him. We rejoice. And we sing that old hymn, you know, that the dark clouds are, are, are hovering over our lives. We're not, we're not feeling like singing. The hills are alive with the sound of music. As we wake up every morning. But we remember the words of the old hymn. While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. When we all, y'all sing with me again, get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. Brothers and sisters, that's why we say by faith we look beyond our suffering to this day of rejoicing with Jesus. And we say not just during Christmas time, but at all times on this side of the cross, Jesus has come. And the arrival of Jesus, he comes with authority over everything that causes us not to rejoice. So this is a time to rejoice. All times for believers. Paul said he had to learn to be content in whatever state he was. We learned that type of contentment, that kind of sustaining joy, even with tears running down our eyes. But we have a joy the world can't take away. Because of what God's promised in, is in Jesus by faith. Which leads to the last point I want to share with you. The joy of Jesus' authority is received by faith. Amen? It's not received by impressing Him with all the things we do for God, with all the things we think God might require of us. In fact, to do that would be blasphemous to God. All that is available to us is a gift received by faith if you walk through the text you see it emphasized over and over and over to the paralytic he looks at the paralytic's friends and he says when he sees their faith when he talks to jairus the the man whose daughter had died the man says implying his faith he says come lay your hands on her and she'll live he believes he has faith jesus says to the woman who has the issue of blood your faith has made you well he says to the men who are, who've been, who are blind, He says, do you believe? He says, according to your faith, be it done to you. And He says, it's implied in the faith of those who bring the man who, who's mute and oppressed by a demon. That they brought it him to him. They had faith. So what you're seeing, the joy of the gifts of Jesus' earthly ministry, all was here, it's received by faith. Such is true for us now. It's received by faith and by faith alone. In Sunday school this morning, in Tim Johnson's class, he shared the quote by Luther. It was attributed to him anyway. When Luther began to understand it's by faith alone, by faith alone that we're made right with God. It was like oxygen to his soul. And maybe you are smothering right now and hard to breathe because of situations and circumstances. It doesn't feel like a good season in your life, but remember the gospel. You're not made right by anything that you do, but what Jesus has done and by faith in them. Let that be oxygen for your soul. I mean, that that takes... Come to me all you're weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. That's what He's talking about. I've taken the burden on myself. I've taken the burden on the cross. Just trust in me. It's a free gift. George Bush's... George H.W. Bush, his uh, last words to his son, some of you heard about that. Saturday was... I love you too. I love you too. He said that to George W. Bush on a phone call. And that was the last words he'd ever said. It'd be a wonderful thing to be reassured of your father's love, wouldn't it? To hear your father say, I love you too. Our struggle is do I really love him? Does he love me am I do I when we think about faith being the uh, the uh, way we appropriate the blessings of the kingdom, forgiveness and eternal life, namely, I think sometimes it 's like some people emphasize with the false doctrine of the health and wealth gospel well, the reason you don 't you still have cancer is you just don 't have enough faith. The reason this is going on in your life is you just don't have enough faith. You just just believe and believe and believe and believe and tell God He's going to do it and it's going to happen. And if it don't happen, the problem's with you. Hogwash. Hogwash. We already see that John the Baptist, he doesn't have a perfect faith. You don't see perfect faith in anyone. I think we wrestle in the same way in assurance with salvation. Do we hear our Father reassuring us I love you too. You are my child. You you belong to me. And I think we wrestle with, do I have enough faith? Do I really have enough faith? It's not a bad question to ask ourselves. The Bible says to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. R.C. Sproul, when asked about this issue of assurance, responded this way. He says, ask yourself this question. Do you love Jesus perfectly? Would any of us say, I love Jesus perfectly? Well, don't raise your hand if you think you do, because you you don't. Do you love Jesus perfectly? No. Second question, do you love Jesus as you ought to? Well, if if you know you don't love Him perfectly and you ought to love Him perfectly, then you have to say, no, I don't love Him like I ought to. Third question, do you love Jesus at all? And if someone who is dead in sin can say, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ and His death alone for this my salvation. I'm putting my trust in Him. I wrestle and I struggle and I have my doubts like John the Baptist. But yes, I do love Him. Someone who is dead in sin cannot say, I'm trusting in Jesus and I love Him though not perfectly and not as I alt, I love Him. That's a miracle. It is an absolute miracle that someone who's dead in sin would say, I truly love Jesus. Now, that needs clarity too, doesn't it? Because we have people in verse 34, like the Pharisees, who flatly reject Jesus, and you know they're lost, so you know they don't have faith. They say, He does this by the prince of demons. Right? But then you have others who are like the crowd. The news about him spreading all over the place. He says, in, in the, Into the, uh, it, the blind men, he says, Don't tell anybody about this because I don't want just a crowd of people following me who have this spurious kind of faith, whose faith is, We love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? I mean, it's all this fans of Jesus. Let's go see the next miracle. Let's be in this environment of excitement and and so forth. But I'm not going to get in the wheelbarrow, Tim. I'm not going to really follow Him. I'm not going to follow Jesus. So when we say, do we love Him at all? We mean, do I love Him? Has, Has He changed my heart? My desire is to follow Him. I really do want to follow Christ. When Jesus says, repent... His message of the kingdom, folks. He doesn't say repent and start trying to live under the old covenant again. That was not His message. He was changing everything. That's why he's, he's talking about these old wineskins, new wineskins. He's saying repent and follow Me. And to follow Him is to live in the way in which He interprets the law and fulfills the law is better said in Matthew chapter 5 he didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill the law so the question is am I trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and putting my faith and trust in Him and my desires to follow Him the way He says to follow Him not not, not the way the old covenant says or not the way I think it ought to be done or the church tells me to follow Jesus but I'm following Jesus in light of what this Bible says that he's, He said to do my desire is to, I love him and I want to follow him and do what he said to do. Are you placing your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in that way? And we'd love to talk with you more about that. And I hope before this service is over, while we're singing or even on your way out, you can get my attention. I hope you would let me talk with you about that or talk with a believer about where you're at with the Lord this morning. Let's let's go to the Lord right now and pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for what You've done for us in Jesus. And thank You for the opportunity uh, in meeting together this morning to be reminded of these wonderful truths and this joy that we have that can't be taken away. Truly, Lord, no matter what, it is well with our soul. Father, we pray for unbelievers that are amongst us that You would grant them true faith and, and repentance in jesus lord the last thing that we would want is for someone to leave this place with some type of false assurance some kind of spurious faith spurious love just uh and be lost just be religious like the pharisees just kind of do the do what they think is the right things but no relationship with you father we pray that you grant true faith and repentance this morning thank you lord for doing that in so many of our hearts already we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together right now and sing together this wonderful hymn. If you'd like to come and pray right now about anything at all, you can come and pray or you can come and I can talk with you about maybe something going on in your life. But you come as the rest of us stand and sing.